If Reality Check Radio enriches your day and life, support us to keep bringing you the content, voices, perspectives, and dose of reality you won't get anywhere else. Visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate. Good morning and welcome back to Counterculture here with Marie for another Wednesday morning. And one of the things I love now about being here for nearly a year, can you believe it, is that I've got people that I've gotten to know really well. And one of those is joining me right now, Auntie Hey Hey herself, Karina Shields. Good morning. How are you? Good, Marie. How are you? So a girl goes away for five minutes and, um, you know, you get yourself into a whole bunch of poo, which we'll cover in a minute. We'll, we'll, yep. we'll you know, we'll ease into that part of the conversation. We'll ease into that. Uh, I've... As you know, I, you and I caught up for a chat the other day, but I uh, I had a bit of a detox, a media detox. There were a few things that snuck through the radar, and uh, I talked to Di about her little, uh, well, Philippa's scuffle the other day. However, the retox coming home, I arrived home uh, February 5. Yeah, so, not long ago. Hmm. So you can imagine arriving back to New Zealand with this, uh, the whole preamble into Waitangi, and I mean, it can it has always there's is a lot of energy around that day that has built up yep. over decades. So you can imagine for me coming back into this wall of of energy, and I looked at uh, so I retoxed straight back and looked at the media and the discontent that was being reported around Waitangi, and there was some positive. So. From your perspective, genuine grievance, sour grapes or tantrum throwing, deliberate campaign of rumour lies and inconvenient truths to select, to further a select agenda or all of the above? Oh, a bit of everything. There's a bit of everything, yeah. There's a bit of everything in there. And what I've seen is that Party Māori are behind a lot of the weaponization that is going on. They are the main ones that are pushing Māori. Uh, let's not forget, they got 3% of the vote. There are over 500,000 Māori registered to vote on across both roles. That's only 17,000 people that they represent of Māori. You know, yeah. when Māori make up 15 to 20% of the country, they represent the absolute minority of mm. Māori. And they've weaponized them to believe what they want and go and act so disrespectfully on Waitangi Day, not only towards our government, but towards our Māori politicians who come from the north. Now, for me to have Debbie and Rawiri encourage all of these people to go up there and be so disrespectful to Winston, David Seymour, Nicole McKee, people who actually come from the north, that to me, as someone from the north, was absolutely disgusting. That's, you know, see, that's a point that I have not heard because essentially you have had ones, what, I mean, what a Debbie and Rawari te, um, te rau, uh, no, he was, he's Rotorua, isn't he, Rawari? So he's, yeah, he's down that way. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, so so essentially they've come up and um, shit and Shane and Winston's nest. Well, I mean, Honey was there, to be fair. Um, I'd love to know, he's been, you and I have talked about this before, he has been very conspicuous by his absence for a very, very long time, and then hello, like there's no party without punch, there he was, and it's the first time we've seen him for a long time. I found that very, very interesting because he's turned up now 
um, with a whole bunch of not a lot to say, I thought. There was lots and lots of bluff and bluster and and he was it's almost like he was trying to channel his late mother, but um it it was kind of like it, was this a symbolic yeah. speech well, or or is it because he felt that he needed to say something? I found that rather it was weird actually for me. It is. Now here's the thing, he's jumped back into bed with the party moldy. So on the 8th of March, there's an event that they're selling tickets for. Now, these tickets are between $60 and $100, and it's called the I Am the Sovereign event. Now, Huni Harawira is speaking, um, Pere Huriwai Sega from Aotearoa Liberation League, um, Mihi Narangi Forbes, Joanne. Joanne is speaking. Joe Forbes, she there. Yeah. Joe mm. Forbes. Um, hey, but she'll have, a sp- she'll have a spiffy frock, so I wouldn't worry about that. Yeah. Mm. Taku Teferis is another one that's speaking. Now, what this event is about is about them sharing their matauranga and their marmatanga, their knowledge and their insight of the Treaty of Waitangi. Yeah, it's on Te Pāti Māori's um, Facebook page. Okay, so this is this. So essentially a group of activists are going to share their knowledge yep. of the treaty. So we're uh, the other side of that equation. Like you and I just said before we got started, like we had Margaret Mutu on with Paul yep. the other day, which last week, and uh, and it was great to have that conversation. We've also had to have Dr. Elizabeth Rauter, and I said to you, gosh, wouldn't it be amazing to get both of those together in an interview exactly. at the same time to lauded academics yeah. discussing this. Why, we why aren't they at that event? Yeah, exactly. Why are they not at that event? Why do we not have proper public respectful discourse and conversation about, about you know, these topics? that are hot topics right now. Mm. There were nearly 3 million people that voted. Mm. You know, 3% of the vote doesn't count for much when nearly 3 million people voted. Well, in that courier taxpayers poll... If yeah. I were those who were behind the scenes at Te Party Māori, and we potentially might get onto that part of the conversation in a minute, he's one of your favourite people, um, yeah, I would have looked at that and would have seen that as a bit of a wrinkle because, the, I mean, whilst Te Party Māori had a little bit of a, actually a little bit of a bump after the election in their previous poll, they've now dropped back. So that definitely shows that some of the shenanigans leading into Waitangi, um, both you know, on both sides of the debate. Because believe me, I don't believe Seymour is one hundred percent right on what he's looking at either. But that's that's the entire point of got putting a bill like this through Parliament is so you can actually have the discussion around it. And if it does move forward, you iron out the kinks. Yep. And what parts Maori have done? is that they've pushed this narrative without telling people that the treaty principles haven't been around that long. The treaty principles are younger than my parents. No, well, they pushed the narrative that it's actually the rewriting of the treaty. It is not the rewriting of the treaty. They're looking at the treaty principles, which are younger than my parents and have been kicked around by governments and the Waitangi Tribunal for years. And it's just around getting clarity on those principles and finding an agreement because the public haven't been consulted on the principles in the past. It's always been government officials, Waitangi Tribunal, who have made these decisions. So I'm not sure why Te Māori 
and encouraging this discourse. Mm. So here's a thought that I have for you, and I tried to raise it with Donna, and she actually put Donna Paul Kitty Phillips um, the other week. One of the things that I see in a cultural perspective is that when you have causes that start running to their natural conclusion, that you then have a swathe of activists that need to find a new cause. So an example of that would be uh, within the LGB community. So you had all of the gays and lesbians that worked really, really hard for uh, initially legalization and acceptance within a legal framework. And then once they achieved that in many nations, they then moved on to uh, equality under the law. And then marriage equality was probably the final step in that. And then once marriage equality happened, pretty much in most Western hemispheres, they had achieved everything. They were fully integrated and accepted as members of a functioning society as they should be. But then all of a sudden you have a lot of the activists on the fringe of that um, kind of done themselves out of a job, really, and they need to have somewhere to look. And a lot of those ones are the ones that are now stoking a lot of the trans activist agenda. So, you know, they found themselves a new job. Yeah. I look at what's going on here, and with Napui being the big exception, pretty much most iwi now have settled with the Crown in one form or another Uh, Tainui led the way. All of them have these parody um, sweetheart deals that get bumped up as each progressive settlement is made. So they will, you know, like they're still clipping the ticket. I mean, what's it now? 20, 30 years, 30 years since Tainui did theirs. So is this a case of they're now setting the stage because they're all of a sudden thinking, oh, you know, we need to. We need to keep the going. Yeah. That's what it comes down to, is money. We need to keep the grift going. And Te Party Māori have been behind a lot of these narratives. COVID, for example. John Tamahiri went to court for the private details of unjabbed Māori. Why? Because the charity that he heads got a big chunk of money from Labour to jab Māori. Debbie got a job as a vaccinator to jab Māori. And then all of a sudden we get to 2023 in the Natural Therapeutics Bill and to Party Māori all of a sudden support Rongoa Māori. Where was their support of Rongoa Māori during COVID? <laughs> during jabs. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so they are consistently looking for that next grift that is going to keep the money coming into, into their pockets. Now John Tamahere Waipareta back in 2017, before Jacinda got in, they were worth cash and cash assets, $8 million. 2023 report came out, their financial report, $64 million. That's a lot of needles and a lot of brown arms, Karina. Yep. In six years, it's a huge jump. Between 2022 and 2023, it was around $14 million. You know, I would love to know the OIA on the breakdown of because so I mentioned a Matt Rippett yeah. uh, article and he which was great. It was a great article and he talked about the salaries. Uh, you know, 13 executive on the board and the with average salaries, what, five hundred and seventeen thousand dollars, the highest paid charity um managers in the country. But not once, not once in that article he addressed 
where the charity was sourcing their income from. And I'd love to see OIAs of what the contracts were issued, the value of those contracts, and the service delivery on those contracts. Wouldn't that be an interesting thing to see? Honestly, do it as a submission and put it in for New Zealand first to make it part of the inquiry. That's what I'd be doing, yeah, is putting in a submission for them to look at the financial for all of these people that received money, COVID funding, especially charity organisations. Because mm. when they're handing out hangi and vouchers to get people jabbed, you know that there's money. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you look at, I know that the media, there was the, what was it, 217 or 250 thousand dollars for a van to go up to uh, do vaccinations up in Northland and it only managed to reach something like 19 people. Yeah. You know. They spent or wasted, actually, wasted huge amounts of money to get people jabbed for something that doesn't even work. Mm. Right? Mm. Māori have been used to push these jabs and they've been paid off. Now, the interesting thing about Party Māori and Waipareira, because John Tamahiri heads both of them, is that ever since the jabs, John Tamahiri has also been bribing people to do things like get on the roll to vote, do the census. Now, to me, when they were bribing people to go and do the census, I was like, okay. That means that nobody can be prosecuted for not doing census because Party Māori have already been out there bribing people instead of using the law to charge people the fines that you can get for not doing the census. Right? John Tamahiri is bribing people, so nobody else can be held accountable for not doing the census either. Mm. Where did the money come from for that? And these were expensive things that they were giving away, like beat mixes and personalised Shoes like Nikes and Adidas shoes that they were giving away, $100 vouchers or $100 cash to get on the Māori roll or to mm. go and do the census. And, and I'm sorry, you can't separate... You can't separate the fact that they know. I mean, I'm probably, you live in the area that Waipareta services. I'm sure there's lots of talk about Uncle John. Uncle John gave me this, Uncle John gave me that. Oh, we better vote for X, Y, Z. I mean, it's a, people know you can't, it's like, oh, no, 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 you need to separate this from the work that they do with the political party. I mean, that, that, no, that doesn't work in a country this size. It doesn't work also because John Tamahiri used Waipareta charity money to fund his election campaigns. So when you're using charity money and funding election campaigns, why have they not been stripped of their charity status? Because we know, what is it, Family First got stripped mm. of their charity status for something minor in comparison to what Te Pāti Māori have done. Te Pāti Māori, I heard at the end of last year, we've also been investigated for hosting, Waipare were hosting to Party Māori's launch campaign for the election. They were being investigated for that because as a charity, they're supposed to be politically neutral. But mm. if you live in West Auckland, especially local to Waipareira, you know that they are not politically neutral at all because you see Debbie, Rawiri, John's faces on their vans. You know, they mm. are Waipareira. Well, it will. Yeah, I know. I, I think investigate. I think. Well, it, Winston has indicated that uh, this is certainly something that he has. I think there's a bit of utu going on there. So, um, 
<laughs> yes, yeah, so I think in reality, that's, that's it does need to be looked into. Yeah. Because yeah. it would be if it was any other charity. Yeah, and also too, I mean, the fact that uh, what did he he played the racism card in that article, you know, he, yeah. um, and it's just kind of like John, you know, you can't play this card anymore. You know, this is, yeah. you know, it's it, it's losing its power over the people. I think it will, be, it, is, it will be it will be interesting to watch the space. We, we, do you know you know that there are ongoing. Um, sort of private journalistic investigations going on. So do you think that there's going to be more coming out on this? Is it evolving? Oh, I think there's definitely going to be more coming out on this, especially as they get deeper into that COVID inquiry. If they're looking at the right areas and money is a big one, then, yeah, I think there's definitely more to come. Oh, we'll have to watch the space on that one, Karina. Now, the other thing that, the one thing that did sort of pierce, and I mentioned it earlier, my little veil of detox while I was away, was you actually were in the trenches yourself on the X. So tell us a little bit more about that, because when you and I caught up before I went away, you were fundraising madly for I Am Hope. You went underwent the Clippers, and unlike most people that just, you know, get a, a, a pretty reasonable haircut, no, you went whole hog, sweetheart. You you were as bald as a badger and raised a whole heap of money. Tell us, hey, firstly, how much you raised and what's gone on since then. I mean, I was like, what? So $3,000 came through from that event. There were still things that I had to do to fundraise more money for I Am Hope. Now. Back in January, while you were on holiday, I wrote an article about online bullying because I had received a message from somebody telling me to go and off myself and do the world a solid. And so I wrote an article about how much worse the online bullying is getting, especially since the election. Well, boy, did it get even worse after that. I had a bunch of people, namely there were two guys mainly, um, who contacted the charities that I work with and have fundraised for, not just I Am Hope, but also another charity event that my whanau and I have been a part of for years. And so consistent were they in this online bullying that Mike King himself made a very public statement that I Am Hope never supported me, that I didn't have a contact at I Am Hope, and basically blasted me in front of everybody. Now, unfortunately for Mike, I have numerous videos that prove that I Am Hope were actually at my event, that one of their workers spoke at the event, and I have witnesses that say that Mike was there. And so from where I'm sitting, it looks like Mike has been led by a bunch of lying men, because that's what they are, to then become a lying man himself on X in front of everybody. Now, when I first saw it, I looked at it and I went, this can't be right because you were at my event. And I asked, has this account been hacked? Are you being for real? The next day I had a conversation with my contact from I Am Hope because um, I emailed her and I was like, what's up? Was this him? She came back and said, yeah, it was him. And he's really passionate and he shoots from the hip. And I said, you know, this never needed to go this far because all he needed to do was come and have a conversation with 
me first. And we could have cleared it up because I understand that Mike has strong views on the LGBTQ community. It was told to me. Now, So I is have, he angry at you because you are gender critical? So yes. is, that the, is that the beef, yeah, right? That's the okay. issue, is that I am gender critical. And I said to her, if Mike had a conversation with me, he would know that I have had gay people in my life longer than I have been alive. I've had gay people in my family for years. So being gay or part of the rainbow community isn't the issue. It's what is happening to the children that is the issue. And I told her that I needed to sit on it to even go ahead with the fundraiser because of what Mike had said last year after Albert Park. But I decided that the cause was more important than the man. So I continued with it for the children, for the rangatahi, just for him to go and do what he did. Now, what as it stands at the moment, I have made police reports. I have made reports to NetSafe. And the people that have contacted Mike are the people who are named in my NetSafe summary. And so there is that tie. And what NetSafe have said is that they've found two things, that false allegations have been made and harmful digital content communications. Mm. And so now I'm able to take those people to court and I'm looking, I've been in communication with a lawyer to try and clear this up because as far as I'm concerned, I've done everything right. I've told the truth about these things Mm. and now growing men are trying to throw me under the bus because I'm a gender critical, outspoken, moldy woman. Mm. Mm -hmm. It is very, very interesting to see, and you're right, the uh, online bullying has certainly ramped up. And you and I, when we chatted the other day, um, sort of ha- we com- actually compared notes because, of course, I went through this in 2019, 2020, early 2020, and it is there has certainly been an elevation in uh, the, the bullying. But what I was really pleased to hear was the fact that NetSafe now have obviously been um, ramped up to be able to do something about it. Whereas at the time that I was going through it, it was the legislation was freshly minted and it hadn't had a chance to sort of be done and what resources they had behind it. So they couldn't do much with it. And this is one of the things, one observation that I'm having with this is now that there has been a change of government, which is essentially the population, the people, sending a message to those, you know, to the to the representatives, right? We're not happy how we were represented with this group. We now want to be represented by this group. And a lot of those bad faith actors that are in that social and ideological space are really just tossing their toys out of the cot over this. Like and I think that actually has created an intensification online because they know that they're no longer um hold the keys to the castle. So they have to sort of fight more viciously in the trenches. Is that a sort of feeling that you've had post-election? Yep. yep. And I've said that that now that we've had the change of government, we've got those people that have been propped up by Labour and the Green Centre Party Māori, they are falling apart. They're absolutely falling apart because they don't have the government to back them up anymore with the nonsense that they were doing. No. Mm. And so that the intensity of the bullying mm. is definitely getting worse. And I, I do wonder with Mike King too, you know, what pressures 
are being placed on him. You know, he's running this charity. He's deeply passionate about it. And we know that. And as they said, he shoots from the hip. But it makes me wonder what influence has been applied to him from the rainbow community. Uh, and exactly. and the you know all the little PR friends and buddies and everything you know it's kind of like no mate this has got to go yeah. or we're gonna, we're going to stop supporting you over here I I I do wonder whether there's a sense of that going on as well yeah I think the same thing like what is it that they have over you or what money are you getting because everything leads back to money mm. what money are you getting that is making you act like this. Now, no, the email that I saw that Mike had sent to one of these people said that he had never met me or talked to me. But I can tell you that a few years ago at a Calvin Crookshank show, I gave Mike King a white feather. Not after hearing his story that night, I gave him a white feather. I asked him about that white feather in November. He still had it. Mm. And yet in his emails, he's telling people, We've never talked. We've never met. That wasn't the story three months ago. Mm. And so, you know, what else is happening behind the scenes? Yeah. Because there were some things that she said that personally I don't think she should have said pertaining to Mike's family, for example. I'm not going to repeat what she said, Mm. but she stated things pertaining to Mike's family. That's got nothing to do with me. His family relationships have absolutely nothing to do with me. I'm the kind of person that will keep my politics out of things for the cause. Mm. And to have these people contact not just I Am Hope, but also the other charity event that I was doing, I walked away from that charity event to save that charity from the backlash that these people, and they they think that they've won because of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's not the case. I will turn over every stone that I need to to bring these issues to light because it is not just me. No. There are other women who are being targeted by these same groups of people. Well, I know the Landy sisters have uh, certainly received a lot of flack and they don't actually have particularly big online profiles. So for it to sort of pierce through them, it's been really difficult. What are some of the other um, things that you're hearing from other Others who have been brave enough to stand up out in the social media space, what are, what are some of the things that are coming back uh, to land at their doors? Now, I've heard that a lot of these people that are doing this right now are all connected. And if you look, like, I've got a whole list of names. Mm. And if you look, they're all connected. And a lot of them eventually go back to party Māori. It's like the six degrees of separation stuff that is going on with them. And I'm just like, oh, this is insane. And it is mostly women that this is happening to. The attacks are on women, especially Māori women. If you're a Māori woman with a big mouth like the Landy sisters and myself, we are huge targets because they don't want us telling the world that we're not victims. (laughs) that we're not oppressed, that we're not victims of colonisation. So they need to keep us quiet, and that's what we are finding across. Mm. Yeah. So there there you go. That's a bit of a nub because I've actually written down here uh, one of the questions that I have, what are the key grievances that should actually be addressed by Māori? Housing. Why is it that Tainui have empty houses where their iwi offices are while there are people down the road living in motels? 
Why are there not houses on Iwi land? I did see that Rawari bill got drawn out about the GST on Kai. I don't have an issue with GST being taken off some Kai, like fruit and veggies and things, but they want it taken off all Kai. Why do they want to make cheap junk food cheaper? cheaper? Why? How does that help people's health? Shouldn't we be bringing the price of fruit and veggies and meat down to meet the prices of junk food so people are getting better options instead of making cheap junk food cheaper? How does that help our health? If they're so concerned about the health of Māori, why junk food? Why fizzy drinks? Doesn't make sense to me. There are so many other things that they should be concentrating on. Education. We have lots of opportunities as Māori to get educated. There are lots of scholarships and programs and things. Why are they not encouraging our Māori youth to do better and be better because they know better? They'd rather play the colonisation game, they'd rather play the victim game because poverty makes people money. There's money to be made in poverty. That's why they do it. So, and of course, there are people working in the space, whether it be in poverty, whether it be Māori Park here, it doesn't matter. There are really good people working in those spaces and things are working. So Family First do a lot of work in there. Um, the churches love them or hate them. The Tamakis do a huge yep. amount of work in that space. Um, City Impact, um, all the, the modern churches, the traditional churches all work in that space. Why is it then, that's why I wonder, it's, no highlight gets put on all the good work that's been done in some areas, but then you've got something like the Waipareta Trust that has been paid millions and millions and millions of dollars to deliver services to yeah. Māori. What are they actually delivering? What Not services are, are they delivering? Not, nothing to me. I've never signed up to Waipareta as a client. The only time that I've ever been into Waipareta was to get my Privacy Act request from them because mm. I, I didn't want to be involved with them. Yeah. I know one of my siblings used to go to the doctor there. It cost her $10. Now, this was before the prices all came down. I used to pay $50 to go and visit my doctor because I would rather pay that and get quality care than pay $10 to any Tom, Dick or Harry that I saw going down there. I wanted consistent care. And I... There was no way I would get that from my potato, seeing a different doctor every time I went down there. Mm. So if anyone actually from my potato is hearing this and going, ugh, she doesn't know what she's talking about, she's full of, you know, crap, um, give me a yell. 2057 is the text, inbox at realitycheck.radio, um, because I'd, uh, you know, I'd love to know. I'd love to know what it is that you're doing, because that's the thing. I've not seen it anywhere in the media, um, whether it be legacy or otherwise, to actually tell us, uh, you know, because, you know, a lot of money has rolled through the trust, but I'd love to know where that impl implementation has gone, you know. Is it, uh, you know, where the health service has gone, how many needles went into how many arms, are, are you doing housing programs, are you getting, I mean, are you telling me that within the zone that you're in, in West Auckland, there are no people in motels anymore because you're actually able to house those people for the however many million that you've got. I'd love to hear your good news story. So give us a yell, 2057, we'd love to hear from you. Um, Absolutely, I'd love to hear, a, you know, a good story from them. But when I'm hearing stories like, they dropped some of their youth programs so that they could continue jabbing people. 
And that came from an ex-worker. Yeah. Someone that I met that, that used to work for them who left because he was working with youth programs, but they favoured jabbing people over working with those youth. Yeah. And see, education, I think, you know, you've really hit on a big one there because education, as we know, is the key for so many people who um, are struggling and they want to get out because, you know, knowledge yeah. is power and and just the truancy rates. I mean, yeah. truancy rates post-COVID, I mean, I know that one of the focuses from Erica Stanford is to actually address those. And kids are just, I mean, I see it with my sons. I mean, I've got a year 12 and a year 13 and one of their closest friends has not gone back to school this year. He dropped out actually towards the beginning of last year and he started a course and he's really struggling. Dreadful anxiety uh, post lockdowns and, you know, they, you know, trying that as a friend group is supporting him, but he's not the only one. I've so many of these kids are feeling completely yeah. disenfranchised and they, they not, and they, and then when they do go to school, what they're being taught, I mean, my my year twelve, he comes home moaning endlessly about the curriculum. And history is one of my bugbears at the moment. He loves history. He loves it's one of his favourite classes. And he was coming home and telling me like last year, one of the things, the key things they studied in year eleven history was the Springbok tour. Well, I have to admit, I did have to say to his history teacher, to be fair, who was born probably in the late 90s, that I would prefer that history that was taught was something that, fit for me, didn't feel like yesterday. So, right. history? Make actual history, go back a bit further than that. Yeah, but the curriculum, you see, this the is the thing, the, rot, the, the rot set in at the top, and I know Stanford has got a huge... Um, a huge issue, and, and Elizabeth Rata, we know, is one of the ones being part of the Listener 7 that, you know, rang that bell a few years yep. ago, and, you know, all of those academics were absolutely chastised for doing so. So, yeah, yeah as you said, there's a lot of fish to fry. Yeah, um, case that needs a major overhaul. Like, mm. for me, we would be working on the basics while they're in primary and intermediate, and then by the time they get to high school, start doing things that are going to give them life skills. Make driver education part of the education curriculum so that when our kids are leaving school, they have a full license, they can get a job more easily, you know? Well, they do it in the United States, so I don't yeah. see why they can't do it here. Exactly. And at least then we know that our children are going to get proper driver education rather than just from mum and dad who don't have the patience to teach them in the first place mm. or teach them sloppy habits, mm. you know? Make some real-world experiences in high school. They are capable of handling real-world experiences in a controlled environment mm. because once they get out into that big open world, it is a very scary place and they are not going to be ready to handle it. No. Especially with the things that are being taught now, and where everything's the, all about a feeling. And one of the concerns that I had was the report that was out in regards to job seeker benefits. A lot of these kids are leaving school. They don't. They're not wanting to go into. You know, the first year free did not attract these kids into education. You yeah. know, they were failed at high school. They weren't attracted into education. They go into job seeker, and and they rot. 
They stay at mum and dad's in the back bedroom or in the shed or wherever that wherever they are, and they just literally rot and and don't get out there, and they become fearful of the world. So, you know, you're a mum. I'm a mum. How how do we stop these kids being afraid of real life? I'm fortunate with mine. He's not. He is not afraid of real life, and he goes out and. He's very subtle about the way he does things. He's a lot more subtle than me against things he doesn't he doesn't like. And so I don't have too many concerns about him, but I do wish that the school would offer more real-world experiences for him so that when he does leave school, it's going to help him and help his life. For me, he's in the Māori unit at the school, um, and I love it because we have more say. See, we have whānau hui every month and we have a say about what they teach in our tamariki and what we want them to teach and things that we're not happy about. And I don't find that in mainstream is that that consultation with families doesn't happen very much in mainstream. Is that affecting but, positive change at the school for these kids? It is, it is for my boy, I found. Last year, because I made him do it, because I said to him, this is your connection to your culture and we do this just for us. It's not about showing off to the world or anything. I said, but I want you to have some kind of cultural connection. And so he did it begrudgingly. But what I found this year is that he's embraced it. He wants to do kapaka this year. Like he's dedicated to going to the practices because they're preparing for, for Polyfest next month. And so he understands more Te Reo Māori than he did last year, so I can say things to him and he understands me and he'll go off and do whatever I say. So I think for him, at least that I've seen, it work, it is working better for him as opposed to the mainstream system, which was failing him. Mm. It was really, really failing him up until, yeah, we got him in and now he seems to be thriving and enjoying it and the other thing I do like about the school where he's at is they have a building academy that students can join for their seniors. And every year they build a house as part of their program. And I said to him, look at doing a trade. I've had this conversation with all of my nephews. Look at a trade when you're older. I said, because a job that you can do with your hands is going to pay you more money than you sitting in the office. I said, but not just that. I said, people are going to always want your skills. You're going to be able to build a house for your family. You can't AI people. yourself a house, eh, Karina? You can't AI yourself a house, so get into a trade. I said, look, there's three of you big boys. One of you go be a builder. One of you go be a plumber. <laughs> One of you go be the architect. Use your sisters to go be the interior designer. And the four of you together could go build a house, you know, mm. when you get older. So I've been putting those ideas in their head rather than going to university, which is where I'm finding a lot of the indoctrination is coming from. Yeah. yeah. And so my boy was on a holiday program, and part of that was a leadership program. Part of that, they went to Auckland University. And that day, they saw lots of non-binary and rainbow flags at the university, and they said, so how did the boys handle that? Because it was just boys' group. And they're like, ugh. They just looked at it and went, ugh. Someone wanted to rip it down. My boy, being the person that he is, I wanted to spit on it. Okay, all right. And so he's had those conversations with me. Why does my school have a non-binary flag in the library? And I said, so what happened with that? He goes, well, I went and asked the librarian, what does it all mean? 
I said, and what did the librarian say? Well, she didn't know, so we had to lock it up. I said, so why are they hanging these things there? Mm -hmm. Now, his biggest bug about that was why do they not have a New Zealand flag hanging in the library, but they have rainbow flags and non-binary flags? So that's his biggest bug at the moment is, Mm -hmm. yeah, the the LGBTQ stuff. It's really It's really interesting your observation with your son on that because uh, one of the things I'm seeing with my boys and, you know, and this is with their friend group, right, because they've got boys and girls and my boys at Catholic boys' school and a lot of the girls that they're friends with are Catholic girls' school, right? What I've noticed are are the boys seeing through all of this ideological stuff. Like they're looking at it going, this is crap. Absolute yep. crap, like totally seeing through it. The girls are sucking it up like the Kool-Aid and yes. getting grumpy with the boys. And, you know, essentially the only boys that I'm seeing that are now conceding with it are the boys that think that they want to be girls or the girls that think that they want to be boys. And, uh, and or they're doing it to appease a girl that they want to kiss or, yep. you know, do more so than that, as Marty likes to say. Uh, and, yeah, it, and it's really... For me, the the solution to that is to get these kids together in person. And I'm so interested to hear what you're saying with the Kapahaka and with the Building uh, Academy. I think these kids are getting disconnected. And the girls, you see, they spend much more time on devices, you know, on the, in the Tokatik and, and, the, and yeah. the Snappy Chat and all that kind of stuff. And I just wonder how much of that is sending them down a pathway when really – life is right in front of them and, and they're not living it because they're too busy looking at a screen and not looking up. Yeah, and I've noticed that too with the difference between boys and girls is that especially our teenage boys now around my boys' age mm. is that they're just like, this is all weird shit. This is absolute crap. Like, this is nuts. I can't make heads or tails of this and they, they don't want a bar of it. But I've noticed the girls are different. And those are the ones that I'm the most worried about because what damage are they doing to our girls? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like Albert Park, there was one girl that was screaming in my face and there was nothing in her eyes. Her eyes were just black. And I'm just like, wow, where are you? Because there was no getting through to her. Well, and, and it's that anxiety too. Like there's lots of this mass hysteria that's gone on, right? And my theory too with a lot of the hysteria that's been created around this principle of the treaties bill is to party Māori have been very, very clever to take the anxiety uh, from one group and they man- it manifested around COVID, then it manifested yep. around um, the trans genocide and in inverted commas. It, it manifests around climate and they weaponize that. And, and there is the groups of people are the same. All the people yep. that are angry about this are angry about the same issues. And I don't think they actually have an under, understanding of the issues that they're uh, angry no. about. They're just triggered to be yeah. angry. They are. They are absolutely triggered to be angry. And I've noticed that myself over the last few years that I'm finding that the same people that want to abuse me online are the same people who have abused me over COVID. They're the same people who abuse me over gender ideology. They're the same people who abuse me over the treaty issues. It is the same groups of people over and over again with a different narrative. Mm. Yeah. Mm. 
No, it, it's, it's uh, it is quite interesting. The tap, tap, tap on this, like uh, Matthias Desmet talks about it. You know, you need to break the frequency. The tap, tap, tap. The tap, tap, tap. The tap, tap, tap. Which is what you do in yep. X. It's what um we do here at RCR. That now, I think that tap, tap, tap is starting to work. And the in the first place that we saw that starting to work is with the election. So, yep. um, and it's all those people in the middle. It's those ones who are that go along to get along, they're working, they're paying mortgages, they're trying to get food on the table, they've got, you know, bigger fish to fry to be worrying about whether or not they've misgendered or used the wrong pronoun for somebody, you know, normal people. And they use the election as a vehicle to say, Carl, we're over this now, we, you know, we just want to get on. I'm, I have been saying how I'm beginning to see a little shift uh, and that people are being a little bit braver. Are you seeing a little bit more bravery from those that have been quiet in, in the previous sort of six years? I am. I'm seeing that more and more that people are like, okay, okay, you've said all this stuff. I feel like I can start saying things now. I feel like da da da. And people have been saying more and more. And I'm like, yes, thank you. Finally, this is what I've been trying to encourage. We need to have this discourse. And I've always said, you are never going to find somebody who will 100% agree with you 100% of the time. Mm. It is not realistic to think that somebody's always going to agree with you. But through conversation, we can find common ground. Mm. But you ask any of those that like to abuse me and I'm just a transphobe and I'm homophobic and da 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 because they don't want to have a conversation because throwing a label at me shuts down the conversation from happening because that's the easier option is to shut down the conversation rather than to have it. But that mm. doesn't solve problems. No, no. Yeah. Um, so I am Hope, Mike. Any of the yeah. team from Iron Hope, we'd love to, to catch up and chat because th this is the thing that's finding that common ground. And the big yeah. bit of common ground that we all have is the fact that what you guys are doing and what you've been able to achieve with, you know, the lack of government support that you have had, I mean, Absolutely. you should have had a lot more, has been absolutely amazing. And that's the other side of it too. Let's park the stuff that you disagree with and actually and I mean this is what I find really sad yeah. you know if there has been pressure that have been placed by those trans activists on Mike or the team at I Am Hope to actually yeah. stop someone like you from supporting them to me it's just like really because that's that's not helpful that's not helpful for the kids that need to get mental health support that's yes. not helpful for those who are struggling after the disasters that we're having down here you know that is that's deconstructive not constructive so okay. you know let's exactly. um, have a catch up and let's see what we can uh, make happen and you're right Karina yeah. it's, it's finding the common ground and working on that building the bridge yeah. on, on on the stable stuff that we both can stand on um, and yes. and filtering out the noise yeah and see so as a result of what's happened people have gone if this is how Mike treats supporters of his charity this isn't a charity that I want to support and for me, that has always been the unfortunate thing. And I've said that to them in my emails, is that it is the charity, it is the children, it is the rangatahi who are going to fall victim to what these bullies are doing. And that's not right. What are they doing to help these children? What are they doing to help youth? Or are they just online trying to crap on everybody else 
and ultimately they don't care about the children. No. That's, no. that's just how I see it. These bullies don't care about the children at all. They care about their narratives and they care about putting money in their pocket. Mm. Well, as it, it is, that old adage is follow the money. That yeah, is for sure. Yeah. Well, you and I will always be catching up. We um because there's always more to say. Uh so yeah. we will I will stay in touch with Karina with this unfolding around all of these things. And as always, it's good to have a good old, you know, you know, get good old chat with your mate, eh? It is. Oh. It's great to have a catch up and just, you know, put some things out there and keep these conversations going. Yeah, and as I said before, any, no, anyone... I don't know things. I know you don't know, and so we can compare. Yeah, and if, as yeah. I said before, invitation, anyone from the Waipareta Trust, or I am hope, if you want to come and talk to me, come and have an adder. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'd, you know, I'm happy to listen. Them. I would yeah. encourage them to come and have an adder with you. Yeah, huh? come and have a Come and have a cordial. I'd love to hear from you. 2057 yeah. is the text. Inbox at realitycheck.radio is the email. And if you guys have listened to this and got some thoughts, um, share those with us as well. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, Karina, as always, I love it. Um, oh, and actually, I mean, if they put in Auntie Hey Hey, will they still find Auntie Hey Hey? But you, you've changed now. You've gone uh, fire. Yeah, so if they put in Auntie Hey Hey, it'll still be there. Oh, good. That, the fire punga wera wera is just a temporary thing. Thanks to <laughs> Waisangi Day. Yeah. Very good. Very good. As always, don't disappear. There's still more great content here to come, including my mate Marty will be here with Media Matters very, very soon. If Reality Check Radio enriches your day in life, support us to keep bringing you the content, voices, perspectives, and the dose of reality you won't get anywhere else. Visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate.